Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Isaac. All right. How are we doing this morning? Good. Hope you're having a good new year. We are finishing up a little mini-series before we jump into our Abide um, series. We're going to start next week for a series of weeks as we pray and fast. I hope you'll pray and fast with us. Um, But this particular little mini-series we're calling Setting the Table. We're doing it in the context of 2022. The Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. Just just a handful of us, but me and you, Ron, every morning, every morning. I need it. Every morning, his mercies are new every morning. And so setting the table is almost, uh, it's a neat metaphor for us to say, hey, I need to eat at the table of the Lord every day. So setting the table means clearing off, it means putting on, it means cleaning, it means thinking about what we need. Uh, And I want to look at this in in light of a verse that we read last week. And um, when my kids were younger, you know, fathers, if you're young fathers, there's this moment where your your wife leaves the kids alone with you, that they trust you that first time or, or two. And, you know, you're not really dying for that opportunity, you know. But it does happen. And I remember one, one time Michelle had left and I had the kids and I was trying to get stuff done. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, the kids can take care of themselves, you know, like toddlers, you know. And I'm doing a job and, and uh, one of my kids had an accident, which happens, you know. Um, and you know, they were wearing diapers. And, and, but there were some accidents, I don't know if you've ever changed a diaper, that a changing table won't do, you know. You need a hose and a yard. And so Michelle pulls into the driveway, and I've got one of my kids hosing them down. She's like, what did you do? You know, I'm like, what do you mean? What, what did I do? You know, I haven't done anything. Well, we go inside, and on a little side table in our house are nine apple cores. Okay. So one of my children starts eating apples. But what was neat about these apple cores is they were perpetually less eaten. Like the first one was like normal apple core. And then the second was like 80% apple core. And then by the end, by the ninth one, it was like two little nibbles on it. You know what I mean? But my child had eaten all of them, you know. That's why I was in the yard hosing them down. So... Why do I bring that story up? Because most of us get a Bible verse and we just nibble on it a little bit. And I want to take my child in like, this is how you eat an apple. In fact, my dad showed me how to eat an apple one time where he just ate the whole apple core. You know, this is how you eat apple, son. Ate the whole thing, except the stem, you know. And most of us nibble just a little bit. But I want us to dig back into this first because there's a lot more meat. There's a lot more fruit on this verse, and I want us to, to ponder it in the context of this, And because last week we talked about that at the center of our table, let's say we put the salt shaker at the center, life puts, pulls the center away. And it's our job as the, the leader, the manager of our life to put that, we looked at, it was a great example, I think it's uh, Danny Sayers who had that analogy in his like, hospitality book, but they, they move the salt shaker over, and we intentionally need to have to move it back all the time because life pushes it out. 
And when we think about our context as individuals, we're, we're leaders and managers of our own lives. We have to perpetually take Christ, take the gospel, take the mercy of God and put it at the center of our table in life. So how we approach God and how we approach each other, how we approach the world. But as a leader in this church, as a pastor, as, as uh, shepherds of this house, it is our job to make sure that we as a church put Jesus and the gospel and disciple-making at the center. Because our job, our role as a church is to make disciples. Yes, we want to reach our city for the glory of God and extend that ripple through the nations. And we're seeing that happen. But how is it happening? It's happening through discipleship. And we look at in the New Testament, the word Christian is only mentioned three times in all of the New, Test the New Testament. In fact, I think two of those times is derogatory. But the word disciple is mentioned, I think, 281 times by some translations. So the emphasis is that we don't become Christians. We're not here to make you Christians. We're here to help facilitate you following Jesus. Now, discipleship, if we're going to look at that term, the best English word we have for that. There's not a real great one, but the best one we have is an apprentice. Someone who follows around, someone who's a student, someone who follows around a rabbi to, to be with them, to become like them, and to begin to do what they're doing. That was the point of an apprentice. If you're an apprentice of a plumber, you show up, you follow the, the teacher plumber around, and then you watch what he's doing or she's doing, and then you do what they're doing. Okay, that's the point. And so for us... This emphasis, this definition of discipleship we see in this scripture. Now, let's read this together. We have this on the screen. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's read this together out loud. Are you all ready? 1, 2, 3. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters... Great. I'm going to read this. This is the ESV version of that second verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, is good, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, what do we see here? First, first kind of truth we see in the scripture is that you are being formed into something. You are, you hear that present tense? Not that you have been, not that you're going to be, but like right now in your life, you are being formed into something. You are. You're being formed into something. Now, we played uh, games growing up. We had, had two brothers. And so, you know, this game has different names and different contexts, but Fletch or Flinch, you know, where you act like you're going to hit somebody, but, it, but you don't. And if they move, you get to really hit them. So it's kind of about toughness and about mental fortitude and about not, you know, letting your reflexes take over, reflexes take over. And so we would have like time periods that we could play the game. My, my mom didn't want us playing all the time because 
we'd fight just like all the time. So she's like, after dinner, she get to like, my, her and my dad would say, all right, the game can start. And then the game would end because if it didn't end, it would never end, right? We'd be slugging in the yard, you know? And so we played this game. And, and so there had to be a truce. There had to be like, okay, the game is over. But here's the thing about your formation. It's never over. You don't get to stop being formed. You are being formed right now. You're being formed. Now, interesting use of the words here is transformed or deformed or conformed. These are the words that, that Paul is bringing out. Now, you can be transformed, and the picture is something inside out, right? This revolution of the body and the life. Conformed is, is more of a, in, in the context of this verse, the imagery that Paul's pulling out is like an artist's mold. Do we have that picture of freedom? Um, I can't remember the artist's name. Y'all forgive me. But here's, here's this picture. The first uh, person, is, they're, they're being formed. They've been formed into something, and then they're breaking out of the mold. That's the, the picture, this mold. Now, we are all being... Now, most of us haven't. Has anybody actually done some, some molds and forms and art? Anybody in here? A couple of us? A few of us? Okay. Most of us have done this, though. We, have, we got that other picture? Most of us have done this. Play-Doh, right? <laughs> now, that's, that's my kind of art right here, baby. And so we take this Play-Doh and we push it into the mold. We close it together. We pull off the edges. And then you have uh, a likeness. You have an image. You have a statue. You have this thing that you've formed. Now, thank you for that, that picture. So we're, we're going here and it says, do not be conformed. Don't be pushed into the mold that the world is putting together. Now, what, what is that? The world. That sounds very interesting. What does the world mean? What does Paul mean when he says the world? Now, in English, we have words that mean different things in different contexts, right? I'll give you an example. And this is a great example from uh, Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. So I'm just going to steal his example. And this is what he said. Um, a ball is a round object typically that bounces that we play a game with, right? That's a ball. But in another context, ball can mean an extravagant banquet with a dance and pageantry. And then in another context, that can mean we're having a good time. We're having a ball, right? And you, just depending on how I say that word, it can mean different things. Well, the world in the New Testament can mean those kind of drastic different things. For example, Jesus said, uh, for God so loved the world. And what was he talking about? He's talking about people, the people in the world. God loves people so much, he gave his life for them so that they might know him. Another context might be, do not love the world. Well, you just said that you love the world, right? No, it's a different meaning. It means the, this age or the, or the values and, and the priorities and the practices and the ideas of this world that are opposed to God. And that's the context we're seeing here. Do not be conformed to the ideas, the values of the world. Now, Paul uses a word here, the pattern of this world, one of the translations said, says. What does pattern connote? It, it connotes behaviors in a repeated pattern. Behaviors that are repeated. 
And so all of us are being formed into something. Now, that doesn't always have to be uh, a negative thing it can, or a positive. It can be a neutral thing, right? Um, I was talking to Devon this week. We were talking about this concept, and he's from Charlotte, and he was telling his friends, hey, I'm coming to ECU, and his friends were picking on him. And they're like, man, you're going to come back in a couple years. You're going to be wearing rainbows, you know, because that's not something he would do in his own context, right? And he's like, man, that, that'll never be me. And then he's studying abroad. He's in Spain, and he's wearing rainbows. And he just looks down. I'm sure it was like, it happened, right? Is there anything wrong with rainbows? No. But he was being formed into a cultural thing, unbeknownst to him. We talked about last week that you walk in New York City. People who live there walk faster than anyone in the country, not because they had an orientation, but because they get sucked in to the culture. Is that negative? Not at all. So there are certain things that we're getting formed into that are neutral, they're cultural, they're not right or wrong. There's some things that are deforming us, they are right or wrong, and there's some things that are transforming us into the image of Christ. Does that make sense? Okay, but here's the thing, there's no truce. You are being formed right now. The way you think, the way you act, you are being formed. Now, what does this look like maybe in a more practical sense of how we're talking about this? Let I me mean, just give you a couple more examples of this. So like in the 70s, kind of anti-establishment, right? We're not going to fall in line. We're going to be different. We're going to be hippies, right? We're going we're gonna to be all out there. But guess what? All the hippies look the same. Right? In the 90s, it was the alternative movement. Like when I grew up, man, we're going to push against the man. But everybody looked the same. We dressed the same way. We talked the same way. Right? Then there's, there's different subcultures, and we're like, we're not going to be formed. Oh, <laughs> you're being formed into an image. It might be different than the mainstream image, but you are being formed. And so that's that kind of the... the, the, the switcheroo, the caveat to this is that you think, I'm not going to be formed. And before you know it, you look just like everybody around you because you are being formed. The question is, what are you being formed into? What are you being formed into? The voices you listen to, whose narratives are shaping your view of the world. A worldview is telling you what's wrong with the world and what's the solution. But is that narrative agree with God? Is that narrative God's narrative? Because whatever that narrative is that's forming you, it's either forming you like Christ or forming you into something opposed to Christ. How does this happen? The messages we hear, the music we listen to, the narratives that fill our minds and our media and our social media feeds and our news feeds, what we do with our bodies, our eyes, our ears, form us. And we think, oh, not me. Oh, yeah. You're wearing rainbows, baby. And you didn't even know it. Okay. So, second point. Formation. I just one thing, just to get another example of this, I thought was funny. If you're a football fan. Um, Brian Kelly got hired from Notre Dame to LSU. 
And right, I'm going to believe the best about this guy, okay? Let's just believe the best. Why not? I want the best to be believed about me. So he's hanging around all these people from Louisiana, right? And then he gets up and he grabs the mic, and out of his mouth, family, right? He starts talking. You're not from Louisiana, right? Why? Because I'm a, I do that all the time, right? If you're not from Eastern North Carolina, you come to school here, and then you go home, people are like, what happened to you? Why are you talking like that? Talking like what? You're being formed, right? All of us are susceptible to that. All right. So what are we saying here? All we're saying is, this brings me to number two, if we're going to be formed into Christ, if we're going to be transformed by the renewal of our mind, formation into Christ, a.k.a. transformation, involves the process of mind renewal. I'll say that again. Formation into Christ, transformation, involves the process of mind renewal. Man, I got swept into the kingdom of God in a season of power and signs and wonders and prophecy. God moving on my life in, in what maybe some would term charismatic or Pentecostal circles where God moved. That's, I'm here today. I'm not apologizing for that. Christ came on me. His spirit flowed through me. It's why I'm here. There was a trajectory of my life, and then Jesus came and touched me, and now I'm here. And it transformed me. But here's a caveat or maybe an unintended consequence from these things is that we think, those of us who are maybe familiar with those charismatic, Pentecostal, spirit-filled circles, that we think everything can happen with a slapping of a hand, some little oil, come on down front, right? Come on down front. Let's go. Now, have I seen Jesus at this altar do signs and wonders and miracles? Yes. Hopefully, in an increasing measure, please, Lord Jesus, more of your power and your spirit. We want it. But here's the unintended con. Everything doesn't happen that way. That's called a miracle. That's called God ripping up of heaven and giving you a little deposit of what's to come. I love that. We need more of that. But here's what I'm convinced of in my experience, along with Scripture, we just read, be transformed not by a good slap in the Holy Ghost, right? Now, I love a good slap, and you might get up here and get one, and hopefully you might get breakthrough, okay? But what I've noticed is most of the time, the transformation is over a process, a renewal of the mind. renewal of the mind. It's a process. And you might be thinking, I need to get my mind re- I need to listen to that sermon or that podcast or read that book. And that is a part, that is a tool for my, but information is not going to change the mind. It's a part of it. You got to have the new information. But if information could change the heart, if it could bring transformation, we would have had that by now. I mean, you know how much information we can consume? We could, we could take showers now and consume information. We can go to bed consuming information, and we do. And it's not changing the heart. So what is it going to take? What does mind renewal do? Uh, here, here's an example of what 
This looks like a guy, I've referenced him a few weeks ago. He wrote a book called Unwanted, Breaking Free of, of Unwanted Sexual Behavior and Unwanted Sexual Desire. He's a clinical counselor and gospel minister out of uh, Seattle, I believe. And this is what he said. Doing ministry, I noticed this. I began to realize that after two years of seeing his clients begin to get freedom and break the routine habits of unwanted sexual behavior, they would describe the world around them differently. A breeze on a cool day. The colors of the leaves. Small realities of serenity around them that they were completely oblivious to for years. It was just like a walk in the park and I felt the breeze on my face. And it was like, I felt God. That breeze hit them in the face for years. But they were changing the mind because they stopped downloading the, the visceral toxicity of the culture and started becoming aware of who God was and what he was doing in their lives. And their senses begin to be awakened. See, sensuality, a perversion of that, will numb you to most sensuality, the God-given kind. Sensuality in the sense of your senses take in. We immediately run to the perversion of that. When we even hear sensuality, oh, that's bad. God made your senses, your eyes, your ears, sense of touch and smell. God gave you that to enjoy his creation, and we've perverted it. And when we do, we, it deforms us, and then we miss the kaleidoscope of God's glory. Two years. Did you hear that? That's what I love. When I sit down with someone and, and they're struggling with habitual patterns they've done for years, and they think, well, you come down here, get a slap, and everything will be different. Two years, baby. How's that? Oh, that just feels great. No, it doesn't. But on the post side of that is glorious. It changes you. I'm not saying that miracles aren't possible. They are. I'm not saying, but God wants to transform your mind, the plasticity of the brain. That takes time. And it awakens, and then you're able to help others walk out and then help others see how the world is deforming them. The world deforms us. Because here's the reality. I'm going to read this scripture. I can't remember if this is in here or not, but 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Now, here's what we, let's just start here. I love how this verse starts. You see that first phrase? Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now jump down to that bottom phrase. From the Lord who is the Spirit. So let's just put this down. Transformation of the heart and the life is a product of the Spirit of God. You see how God sandwiched this for you? The Spirit has to change you. Habits don't change you. Information doesn't change you. Now, does God use information? Yes. Does God use new habits? Yes. But it's the Spirit that brings transformation. 
And we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord. Being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. When we see Christ and the gospel and we continue to look on and worship God, we are transformed. That's what this is saying. Moses saw the Lord and his face shone like a bright light and he put a veil over it. Because he didn't want people to know that that veil, that that shining was diminishing. But not so with us. We get to see the glory of the Lord in increasing measure. And our transformation is increasing, not decreasing. Because we're worshiping God. Said another way, we become what we worship. We are being formed or deformed or conformed or transformed depending on what we're worshiping. Now, just like, just like we talked about transformation, we don't get to choose on that. Formation isn't a choice. You are being formed. Why? Because you are worshiping. You are a creature created to worship God. We are worshiping. I can't say, I need to worship more. No, no, no. You're worshiping. You need to worship God more. We don't choose whether we worship or we don't worship. You are wired by God in his image to worship. And you are becoming, transforming, deforming, being conformed by who and what you are worshiping. What are you worshiping? That's what you're becoming. In my life as a young man, as a teenager, I worship sports. I worship victory. I worship being at the top. That formed my whole view of life, right? Because then every conversation was about winning and losing, right? See, I learned something in marriage. You can win and lose, right, man? Right, man? I won. Brother, you lost bad. I don't know what score you're picking up, but you've lost, right? Why? Because this thing I worshiped was, was winning, victory at all cost. Well, there's no friends around me well, because all you care about is beating them. Every conversation is an argument because all you care about is winning an argument. Because what I was worshiping was forming. It was bleeding over, right? Is there anything wrong with sports? No, nothing's wrong with sports. Right? You can worship marriage. That's a beautiful thing. God ordained. It's a gift from Jesus. But that can deform you. Because Christ has to be at the center. And what we worship is what we become. Now, this is a dangerous analogy, but, but since Christ, sorry, since Paul made it, y'all can blame him. All right? Galatians 4, 18 and 19, it says this. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. Not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is what? Formed in you. This is, this is the walk of the believer, the apprentice of Jesus, the disciple, that Christ would be formed in you. Paul, as, as your leader, as the pastor of your church, Paul's writing to the Galatians, I am in the pains of childbirth now. I don't know what that feels like. 
but I, I'm just looking on that happening. It seems painful. I'm again in the pains of childbirth until what? Christ is formed in you. So Paul, I see what you could become. I see what you could do with your life and I'm in anguish until you get there. Because there's something going on in your body, in your life, your attitude, your relationships. It pains me until Christ is formed in you. That's a formation that Christ has to be done. Formed in you. Here's the analogy, though. How is a child born? Well, there's, there's something alive that's coming out of you. And it's coming out through contractions. Again, I'm way outside my expertise here, all right? And, and on, on verge of offending and missing, I, I, I have to, we got to preach this Bible, okay? So here it is. These contractions are pain, from what I can tell, what I've been told, pain that happen in increasing consistency and severity. Is that accurate? Is that accurate? We got, any, we got a couple? Yes? Okay. I got the OB going like this. All right. Hey, I needed that witness, Angela. Thank you. This is all going downhill until you gave me that nod. All right. Consistency and intensity. Now think about your trend until Christ is formed in you. There's intensity and consistency of action and pain until you are transformed. So you might be thinking, I'm going through a lot of pain right now. Yeah. Yeah. Contractions. Contractions. Until Christ is formed in you. Well, it's getting harder. It's getting worse. It's close then. Right? How far are they apart, right? Oh man, it's coming soon then. And so we, we interpret pain and increased suffering as something bad's happening. It could be that you're in the pains of childbirth. Christ has been conformed in you. It's just the Bible. I didn't. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Paul, for that analogy, right? Okay. So again, it's not simply an addition of new information. Scottish theologian and Baptist preacher Alexander McLaren, thank you, Beatty, said this. So hang with me. It's a little bit long quote, but I think you'll appreciate it. If you want to change your characters, what are we talking about? Transformation. He's writing a commentary on this passage. So here's the context. What is he talking about? Transformation. He calls it changing your character. And God knows they all need it. And I'm going to change that to we. There we go. We all need it. Change, this is how it happens, the deep convictions of your mind, how you think. Not, not just what you think, but how you think about what you think. Get hold as living realities of the, the great truths of Christ's gospel that we sit at the table of God we have a relationship with God starting now for all of eternity because Christ died for you and for me. 
Not because you're an ethnicity or, or a gender or a nationality or a political party. Because Christ died for you. That's how you get to the table. You put faith in Christ alone for what he did so that he, you can become adopted as his sons and daughters. That's the gospel. Not, man, I'm a good person. Man, I'm going to read my Bible today and God's going to bless me. No. You are his son and daughter by his doing. Okay. If you and I really believe that we say we believe that Jesus Christ has died for our sins and lives for us and is ready to pour out upon us the gift of his divine spirit and wills that we should be like him and holds out to us the great and wonderful hopes and prospects of an absolutely eternal life of supreme and serene blessedness at his right hand, should we be, could we be the sort of people that most of us are? Here's the, here's the clincher here. It is not the much that you say you believe that shapes your character. It is the, the little that you habitually realize. It is not the much that you say you believe that shapes your character. It is Talking about transformation. So I could say it this way. It is not the much that you say you believe that transforms you. It is the little that you habitually realize. Truth professed has no transforming power. Truth realized, fed upon, can revolutionize a man or a woman's entire character. If I believe that God loves me, then I believe that he wants to spend time with me. If he wants to spend time with me, he wants to speak to me. And if I believe he wants to speak to me about myself, himself, and all of creation, I will spend time with him. And if I spend time with him, he will speak to me, and I'll be transformed from glory to glory. So one truth transforms the life. This is how transformation happens. The truth of God the faith in that truth and the God of that truth and then practiced the pattern. So, number three, formational change requires stopping and starting. Stopping and starting. Here it is. Here's a word I'm going to throw in here. Thoughtful intentionality. Every culture Embedded in that culture are things glorious and things reprobate and destructive. So if we just blindly just inhale all that the culture has from us, we will be de being deformed. Thoughtful intentionality. What am I doing that's forming me? Because I'm going to have to start doing some things and I'm going to stop doing other things. Both are required. Why? Because you only have 24 hours a day, seven days a week, maybe 80 years, if you're lucky, 120, somewhere in between there, maybe not. So what are you going to do with your time? You can't do it all. And what you give your time and attention to will form you. Okay. Every culture echoes heaven and hell because you were created in the image of God you are his imago day, But because you're a sinner, 
at the core of who you are twisted until you see Christ, there's a lot of bad habits that have materialized over the years. Wrong ways of thinking. Wrong ways of engaging the world, yourself, God. that have to be transformed. It requires starting and stopping. The mind renewal is a holistic exercise. It involves body, soul, mind, spirit. It involves all of who you are. Okay? We can't just worship in our mind. We have to worship with our mouth. We worship with our hands. And I'm not just talking about worship in here. This is a type of worship, but your work is worship. What are you giving your 40 to 80 hours a week to? That's not just wasted time. That's worship. So you can engage your work as worship to the God that when you put your hands to it, you're bringing him glory. That's transforming you. So this is a wait till Sunday, get some more transformation. Be transformed all week. But it is going to require you stopping and starting certain things. Thoughtful intentionality. What do you do every day? Every day when you wake up, what do you do? I don't know what you do. What do you do right before you go to bed? What's on your mind? See, if we're going to set the table for 2022, that means, I don't know about you, but I go to the table often. Right? At least three times a day. And every time I go, right, there's dishes, you know, there's, there's things to do. How often are we setting the table to feast on the Lord? I don't have time for that, Blake. I get it. That's why we're fasting this week. We just created like an hour and a half, right? Just created an hour and a half. I don't know how long you eat, but if, if you eat 30 minutes a day, that's an hour and a half. It's probably more like four hours from some of us, right? We just created some time. That's why one of the perks of fasting, we're going to set aside some time and have some thoughtful intentionality on what I'm giving my life to because I am being formed. Now, what I'm not saying, and I want you to hear me, transformation of the heart and life is simply a project self. You just need to go home and just like get a calendar and a schedule and fill it up with stuff. That's not what I'm saying. Or even making yourself the best version of what you think Jesus wants. I'm saying that you have a part to play in the transformation process. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means you're going to have a part to play. Now, here's what's awesome about what we got. Have you ever did this growing up? But I was in you know youth group or or like a, a athletic team in high school. There would always be that guy or that girl who would fall asleep in public. There's a little bit of jealous, like how can you do that? You know, like. We're like on a bus. There's music. You know, just sleeping. And then what did you do, man? You found some food across the bus, and you were like, trying to get it in there, right? How can I get it in there and not wake them up? You know, you're just like, right? Here's what's awesome about God. Man, he can, he can, like, you, are, you can be walking down the street with your mouth half open, and God's be like, he can get it in there. He can get some nourishment in that soul. Not even trying to eat. Oh, that was good, God. Praise God. Now, that will help you survive, but not thrive. Not be transformed. You can maintain a little Holy Ghost dropping stuff from heaven, you know. 
Just like God, just like, man, watch this. You know, just corkscrew. Boom, it's in. Oh, man, that was awesome, God. You can get a little bit of that. That's going to sustain you. You're not going to die. You're not going to transform the heart that way. You have to sit and come and pull up, loosen that belt, right? Clean that table and have a meal with Jesus. That'll transform you consistently over time. You wake up two years from now and you're like, the breeze on my face. It's the breath of God. Look at the color of those leaves. God's amazing. Look at the way that person's doing that thing. Only God could do that. Why am I thinking this way? I didn't used to think that way. Oh, that transformation of the heart over time. Seeing Jesus in his glory. It's the time. We got to stop, though. We got to stop doing some stuff. Every day, set the table. What we said this morning said, You are being transformed into something. You are. You're being pushed into a mold. I don't know what mold you're being pushed into. Is it Christ? Is it is a revelation of Jesus? Or is it just, you're just following the culture. You watch everything the culture watches. You live, I mean, I don't know how many hours a day we sit and consume. I don't know what that looks like for you. It might be none. Praise God. It might be hours a day. If you get a little marshmallow from Jesus once a week, that ain't transforming the heart. how we think about others, how we think about God, how we think about ourselves. It's a feast before Jesus when we get in this word, this Bible specifically. That's why when we fast this week, guys, don't just go without food. Praise God for losing five pounds. I'm believing two, five pounds. But that's not why I'm fasting. That's just like icing on the cake. Fasting because I want to see Jesus. And how you see Jesus most explicitly is in this Bible. It's a mirror to look at myself and how far away from the mold I am and let him transform the way I think about myself and others and God. Second, formation into Christ involves a process of mind renewal. It happens over time. It's long obedience, Eugene Peterson, in the right direction. Long obedience in the right direction. This was something that freed me a couple years ago because I was on like a, if you're going to do it, do it right. You know, y'all heard that? And there's truth in that, right? If you're going to do it, do it excellent. But someone came up to me, man, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing badly. What? Like if it's that worth doing, just do it wrong, but try to do it. And eventually you'll get good at it. Well, that freed me up. You don't know how to fast? Do it badly, but just try it. It's worth doing, right? Takes time. Finally, third, formation of the uh, change requires stopping and starting. So here's what application this week. Let's stand to our feet as we close. I know went a little long. That's all right. Stand to your feet. I'm just like a Japanese steakhouse over here. I'm just flicking meat all over the place. So if you're hungry this morning, it's not my fault. Your mouth shut, okay? All right. 
Here's what I want us to do. If you can do this, here's application. I want you to fast with us. Like I've never fast. Take one meal. One meal. Lunch can sometimes be the easiest. That's a good one. Get a good breakfast, right? Wait till dinner and just during your lunch break, pull out your Bible, read the scripture and pray. Just try it. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing bad. Okay, just, just try it. See what happens. Some of you, man, you're like fasting experts. Let's stick in this week. Let's go a week and just fast and pray. See what, might God, what God might do in us and through us. Okay, but personally for you, think through this. What's one thing I should stop doing and one thing I should start doing? I would say you need to do more, but most of us are busy. We're doing lots of stuff, right? Most of us got things going on. And so you're probably gonna have to stop doing something. It could be a good thing to create room for what God's asking you to do. Does that make sense? Everybody just staring at me. Okay, everybody's scared. It's all right, be scared. Here's the, here's the reality. Let's pray that this week. Lord, what do you want me to stop doing? What do you want me to start doing? You got all week to pray about it. You don't, make, don't have to make a decision this morning. Pray about it. What does God want me to do? I don't know. Might be something out there. Might be something I might not even think of, but God wants to speak to you about what that thing is. All right? Can we do that this morning? All right, let me, let me pray for y'all. Just right where you are, lift your hands if you're comfortable with that. Attitude of surrender. Father, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. That this week we would commune with you. We would meet you in, in real and tangible ways in our homes, in our cars, in our apartments, at dining halls, in the library, at school, at work, during our lunch breaks, God. Lord, come and minister to us, speak to us, help us see you in a new way. Help us to worship you, whether we feel like it or not. And see what you might do in our souls in the process. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being with us this morning. Thank you for joining us online. Just a reminder, we're going to have the sanctuary open. 12 to 1, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for prayer, and 6 to 7, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, okay? And so if y'all could come, if y'all can come, come be with us. Try one, try one of those time slots if you can. Come and pray with us as a church as we fast and pray for 2022, believing for some pretty big and amazing things this year. So come join us. Turn around before you leave. Tell somebody hello. You're glad they're here. We'll see you next week.